You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Two quick things before I get to the calls. First, stock up. That's been my advice since we learned last May that the Supreme Court was about to overturn Roe v. Wade. May 2nd, 2022. Less than a year ago. Seems like a decade ago. Last May 2nd, a draft of the majority decision, written by Samuel Alito and Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, somehow got leaked. We still don't know who the leaker was, My money remains on Ginny Thomas in the library with the candlestick, surrounded by her billionaire buddy's Nazi memorabilia. Anyway, my advice back then, in May of last year, when the decision leaked, and again in June last year, when the Dobbs decision was officially handed down, my advice now remains the same as it did then. Stock up on Mifepristone and Misoprostol, the abortion pills, the names of which I can't seem to stop mispronouncing and stumbling over even after Dr. Jen Gunter was kind enough to come back in the Lovecast and teach me how to pronounce them correctly. They're sometimes referred to as the abortion pill, singular, but medication abortion involves two medications taken within 48 hours of each other. First, mifepristone, which stops the production of the hormone progesterone, which is necessary for a pregnancy to continue, and then misoprostol, which induces cramping and bleeding, emptying the uterus. Mifepristone and misoprostol, or as I like to call them, M&Ms to spare myself the indignity of stumbling over the names of these medications each and every time I have to say them, and to spare you the pain of having to listen to me mispronounce them every single time. M&Ms. M&Ms have a five-year shelf life, and you don't have to be pregnant to obtain them. Anyone can order them online, which I did, through plancpills.org. You can too, and you should. You should have them on hand in your medicine cabinet in case you or one of your friends should ever need them, or in case your sister or your girlfriend, or your niece should ever need them, or in case your trans brother or your trans nephew should ever need them, especially if you have friends and family in red states. These drugs are safe, effective, and they've been in use. They've been FDA approved for more than 20 years. There's a mountain of data attesting to their safety and effectiveness. M&Ms induce a miscarriage. In rare cases, less than 0.5%, according to the Guttmacher Institute, a woman might experience complications. Women need to know, particularly women in red states, that doctors and nurses cannot tell the difference between a miscarriage that occurred naturally and a miscarriage that was self-induced using M&Ms. If the highly unlikely should happen and you or your friend or your sister or your niece or your boyfriend or your nephew or your brother winds up in the ER after taking M&Ms, you don't have to disclose that you took M&Ms and you shouldn't disclose it. Disclosure now in these United States It's too risky. Anyway, that was my advice back then. Stock up. That advice still stands. Stock the fuck up. Order those pills today. Because while the anti-choice movement, the pro-forced birth movement, didn't seem to grasp a year ago that women could get abortions at home now, self-administer abortions at home now, using these medications, they were going to realize it sooner or later and go after these drugs, which is exactly what they eventually did. Anti-choice activists went judge shopping, venue shopping, and they found a judge in Texas, a Trump appointee. And that judge, as expected, ruled in favor of these anti-choice, pro-forced birthed activists. 
and ordered the FDA to pull mifepristone from the market nationwide. For more on this judge and just how obscene and fucked up this ruling is, go read Michelle Goldberg's April 8th column in the New York Times, The Hideous Resurrection of the Comstack Act, and Ruth Marcus's April 8th column in the Washington Post, The Worst Federal Judge in America Now Has a Name. It gets more complicated, of course, if you've been paying attention, which I assume you have, you're my listeners. Within days of that federal judge in Texas ordering the FDA to yank Mifopristone, a federal judge in Washington state ordered the FDA to do no such thing, to keep it on the market. Conflicting rulings from two different federal courts, that means one thing. We are, this case is, headed back to the Supreme Court whose conservative justices claimed, back when they overturned Roe v. Wade, that abortion, whether to ban it or legalize it or how to regulate it, that that should be decided by state legislators, not judges, by the people's elected representatives, not judges. Judge Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, also claimed in his concurring opinion in Dobbs that overturning Roe wasn't so bad because women in states where the procedure would be banned could travel to states where it wasn't banned because no state would attempt to do anything so draconian as regulate interstate travel to ban abortion care, which is exactly what the state of Idaho literally did last week, which is also going to land in front of the Supreme Court. So to those disingenuous asshole conservative SCOTUS justices, I say, paraphrasing Sarah Palin, how's that Roe v. Dobbs v. stuff working out for you? And to everyone else, I say, again, stock up. M&Ms are still available despite the impression you may have gotten from news reports, and you should have them in your medicine cabinet. Get them now in case anyone you know might need them. That goes for all the gay uncles out there too. We're gay uncles. We keep our M&Ms on the shelf in the medicine cabinet right next to our prep. All right, just one other thing I wanted to talk about before we start the show today Tate Reeves is the Republican governor of Mississippi. He is a straight, married, religious, conservative man and an asshole, anti-choice, anti-LGBT, anti-electric car. Tate Reeves just signed a law restricting the sale of electric cars in Mississippi because fuck you, I guess. And he opposed COVID safety protocols three years ago, which may be why Mississippi is the state with the third highest COVID death rate in the country. Tate Reeves is mixed up in a welfare scandal right now. It's complicated. I can't unpack the whole thing. But the state's former welfare director, who is facing criminal charges, claims he funneled more than a million dollars in welfare funds to Reeves' personal trainer on the governor's orders, allegedly. Before I say another word, I am not suggesting that the governor of Mississippi, a straight, married, conservative, religious man, is a closet case. Although, as we've seen time and again, married religious conservative correlates strongly with closet case. But to be clear, I am not alleging here that Tate Reeves is fucking his personal trainer or has been fucked by his personal trainer or that his personal trainer would even want to fuck Tate Reeves or that his personal trainer has or that his personal trainer is gay. His personal trainer is a married religious conservative man himself, according to the cover story about him that I just read In Mississippi Christian Living Magazine, the in-flight magazine of Get Me the Fuck Out of Here Airline. So again, not saying Tate Reeves is gay, am saying this. It's rare for someone to hire a personal trainer they don't want to fuck. It is almost unheard of for someone to funnel a million dollars to a personal trainer they aren't already fucking. So 
Going to keep an eye on this developing story. Created a Google alert just now for Tate Reeves and personal trainer. I will update you if there are any further developments. All right, coming up on today's show on the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love. Writer, filmmaker, and activist Leo Herrera joins me. You may know him as Brown Gay Jesus. We talk about the term breeding, which is really popular among gay men right now in reference to anal sex. And we also talk about who owns the term mangina and so much more. It's a great conversation. If you're not already familiar with Leo's work, you're going to seek it out after you listen to my conversation with Leo today on the Magnum Savage Lovecast. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace, online therapy that makes it easy to get extra mental health support. For $100 off your first month, go to Talkspace.com and use the offer code SAVAGE. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. Nancy and the Tech Savvy At-Risk Youth. My son was born 12 years ago, and we made a choice not to have him circumcised. And that has meant that there are things I don't know because I am circumcised. And we've had moments along the way where we learned about uh, having him pull back his foreskin and clean himself in the shower, other things I haven't understood. And he's 12 and we're having more talks just occasionally about sex and sexuality. And I would like to get help from you or one of your listeners about being uncircumcised in particular about uh, masturbation or sex or other things that he should know that I don't know because I am circumcised. Maybe there's more dads in my situation, but if there's anything that he should know, I would be really glad to hear it and pass it along to him. Or if this answer is friendly to a 12-year-old, I'll just play it for him. Well, I understand that your lived experience is all circumcised dick, you personally seems to me that it's not hard to educate yourself about the lived experience or the hygienic necessities of the uncircumcised dick, your son's dick. You've already told him the most important thing. You've already taught him the most important lessons, which is to pull his foreskin back, to roll it back when he is cleaning his dick. Not something that a kid can do early in life. The foreskin is attached to the glands for a period of time, but eventually it begins to roll back and at that point needs to be cleaned and you can trust a kid that you've raised right. If you can trust that kid to brush his teeth, if you can trust that kid to take a shower with some prompting, you can trust that kid to clean his own dick. Now, there are some health benefits to circumcision. They are minor. Uh, somebody who is circumcised is less likely to contract certain kinds of sexually transmitted infections. If a uh, uncircumcised male is a sub-Saharan African, he's at much greater risk of contracting, say, HIV. Not really a concern for boys in America, for kids in the West, as much of a concern. You should tell your son, once he becomes sexually active, he needs to clean himself. And you can proactively ask your son, do you have trouble rolling back your foreskin? Do you have a thing, condition called phimosis, where your foreskin is tight and you can't 
roll it back far enough to expose the glands or roll your foreskin back and forth over the head of your penis when you masturbate. Ugh, such a conversation to have with your kid. It's super awkward. But if you check with him and there's no problem with his foreskin, you don't really have to have this conversation for much longer and you can trust that your kid will, if given information, access to the internet, the ability to Google himself, will take a healthy interest in his own dick, which means, dad, you can step off a little bit. Here's how you clean it. Do you have this particular problem that a certain small percentage of uncircumcised men have that has to be addressed medically? If not, enjoy your intact, uncut dick. And we don't have to have this conversation, father to son, ever again. And I recently got a question about something else that comes up when dads and sons and circumcision is somebody really, a dad, really concerned about his son's dick not looking like his. I have never seen my dad's dick. I don't know if my dad's dick is polka dotted. I don't know how closely my dick resembles my dad's dick. It comes up when people are thinking about circumcision. It never comes up when you are living a life as a male child and then an adult male child of a adult male father. So if people would just let go of this, I want his dick to look like mine, unless you're sleeping with your son's girlfriend, which you shouldn't be doing, who's going to compare and contrast your dicks? How is this ever going to come up? Which is my way of begging you not to call me and bring it up anymore. Hey, Dan, I'm an uncircumcised guy. And I've noticed that when my partner does things with my dick, uh, she kind of pulls my foreskin back further than I do, which is fine in the moment and isn't uncomfortable. Uh, but something I've noticed is that it doesn't go back over the rest of my dick the same way that it does when I jerk myself off. And it's not that situation that I've heard you talk about where uh, it's like stuck around the cock. It just kind of like the foreskin gets a little bit puckered, which to me just sort of looks weird and sometimes can be uncomfortable just in the sense of like the head of my penis is a little bit exposed. So I've just been trying to figure out how to, quote unquote, reset my foreskin afterwards, other than just waiting. Any thoughts? Yeah, here's my thought. Your girlfriend is injuring you. She's jacking you off with more force than you use. And she's, I mean, she's not grievously injuring you. She's not breaking your legs, but she's bruising your foreskin in such a way that there's some swelling after she jerks you off or, you know, is deploying some hand job with the blow job, whatever it is that she's doing differently than when you jack yourself off, it's causing a little bit of swelling in your foreskin. She's gripping you too tightly or she's yanking your foreskin back too hard. Rather than trying to figure out how to roll your foreskin back over the head of your dick after she's done slapping your dick around like that, you need to use your words and tell your girlfriend, you're hurting me. Not maliciously, not with ill intent. And then you need to show her how it is that you jack off. And then when she reverts to this form, and I don't think she's being malicious here. This may be a certain style of jacking a guy off that worked for her past boyfriends. Cut guys often do require a little bit firmer a grip and that fist slamming up and down on the dick isn't yanking a foreskin back and forth with a lot of force. So it's not going to hurt. So she may just be applying techniques to your dick that worked with dicks that she is familiar with from past relationships. And it's just not working for you. And you need to tell her. And then in the moment, if she 
or gets or again reverts to what worked for past boyfriends, you need to speak the fuck up in defense of your own foreskin. You need to rise, object, advocate for your own foreskin in that moment. Now, I don't think she's going to cause your dick to fall off. It's not going to go gangrenous. You're not going to die. But this sounds uncomfortable. And so you should advocate for your own comfort and advocate for your own foreskin in the moment with your girlfriend. You could even just have her sit down and listen to what I just said. And not to hammer away at this, but I would like to point out that I have never gotten a call from an adult male who's uncircumcised, who's stressing out about his dick not looking like his dad's. Here's an uncut guy calling into the show. That is not his issue. So dads, can we stop pretending that that's an issue or something that our kids are going to notice or be worried about when they're adults? Literally not. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. We could all use a little more self-love, am I right, ladies? It's easy to get into a rut with fantasies or what you do in bed with a partner. Dipsy can help spark your erotic life and get yourself back to pleasure. It's like having new relationship energy for yourself. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. Radically inclusive. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color, and they are totally amazing. You've never heard celebrities like this before. Listen to stories voiced by Sarunas J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, and Luke Cook. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner or partners. For listeners of the show, Dipsy's offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash savage. Dipsystories.com slash savage. Hello, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. I am 40 years old. I would like to start an OnlyFans page. I like to be looked at, and I could stand to make a couple extra bucks. I'm a small business owner for a uh, graphic design and apparel company, and I'm a single dad to an 11 year old. I know that judgment is something that happens, and there's no way to avoid it, and I know that putting myself out there is uh, a risk that uh, I would you know, have to take if I want to move along this path. What I'm hoping for is some insight on how I could potentially navigate this to minimize the risk of, uh, you know, my biggest fear is somebody making a case that it's inappropriate for me as a single father. I'm not worried about my son's mother doing anything about it. I know that she wouldn't have anything to say about it either way. But it's all the other people in this little community. I don't know. If you have any kind of insight, if your listeners have any kind of insight, I would love to hear it. There's a big market out there for hot daddy porn. You're a 40-year-old hot daddy. Should you rake in those extra bucks? You have an 11-year-old kid. You're a single dad. Seems to me 
erring on the side of caution, knowing how kids are and knowing how self-conscious kids in middle school are, that you might want to kick this can down the road just a little bit. If you're a hot dad at 40, you will be a hot dad at, say, 47, when your kid is 18 and out of high school. I realize this makes me sound a bit conservative. I know people who are sex workers. I know people who are professional dominatrixes. I know people who are porn stars. Stormy Daniel, parent. Possible to be an out sex worker, pro-dom porn star, and a good parent. But if you're worried about being outed, even if it wouldn't cause conflict with your spouse, that your ex-spouse that you're co-parenting with, I would hesitate to do this if I were you because you know, having a dad who's, you know, gets busted for doing a little bit of porn, that's going to land very differently if you're a freshman in college than it's going to land if you're a seventh grader and all of your peers find out. If it becomes a thing, uh, and it could become a thing. People doing porn get outed all the time. There was a traffic court judge in New York City who just lost his job because his really rather explicit and, wow, thirsty escapades. He was making porn. He was doing OnlyFans. He was doing just for fans. That surfaced somehow. Somebody outed him. He wasn't very discreet. He talked about being a judge on his not safe for work thoughty Twitter account. And he his face was all over it. So he kind of outed himself. But people get outed all the time. And porn on the internet has a way of just I don't know, landing places that you never expected it to land because things just go, go, go. And so uh, your kid is 11. My dad's doing porn and all of my peers have seen my dad's dick at 12. That could cause for your kid trouble at school. Your kid could be bullied and your kid is highly likely in a situation like that to resent you as much or more, and I realize I'm spinning out a worst case scenario here, but he's likely to resent you as much or more, probably more than the peers who are bullying him after they saw his dad's dick on the internet. So I would advise you to keep your dick off the internet for five more years. It'll be 16, 17, 18, ideally wait till 18. And then go be the hot daddy porn star that you want to be. Decluttering always feels good. You know how when you finally get around to it, when you finally get everything sorted, you feel so much better? Same thing goes for your mind. Talking to a therapist from Talkspace can help you declutter your head. And you get just that same renewed feeling deep down. You will feel so much more clear-headed and calm. Talkspace is a new, more convenient way to find a therapist and to actually follow through on meeting with your therapist because everything is done online. Find the therapist you really click with, then you meet virtually whenever it works for you and your schedule. There's no having to take time off work. There's no scheduling childcare or hurrying to an appointment. It's therapy designed to fit into your life. Finding a therapist can feel overwhelming, but Talkspace takes the pressure off that first step. Talkspace is the more flexible, convenient, and affordable way to get high-quality care. At Talkspace.com, you match with a provider that's right for you, usually within a day or two. And Talkspace has thousands of therapists with all kinds of specialties. There's someone who's exactly right for you at Talkspace. And Talkspace makes it so easy. 
for you both to connect. Talkspace is private, secure, affordable. When you've met your therapy goals or simply want to cancel, Talkspace has a simple cancellation process and will work with you to get a prorated refund for unused time if applicable. Talkspace is there for you to make your life better. Looking to renew and rejuvenate your life? Looking to declutter your mind? Look to Talkspace. And now get $100 off your first month when you go to Talkspace.com slash savage to match with a dedicated therapist. Go to Talkspace.com slash savage to get $100 off and match with your dedicated therapist now. Talkspace.com slash savage. Hi, Dan and friends. I'm a cis woman in my mid-30s. For most of my life, I've only ever considered and, as far as I'm aware, been attracted to cis men. I was married to a man for over a decade until a few years ago, and for the first year or two after the divorce, I only dated cis men. Then, about a year ago, I started to be curious about dating cis women and non-binary folks in addition to continuing to date cis men. I was on a dating app at the time, and I decided to switch from seeing only men to seeing, quote, everyone, end quote. I hadn't been displaying my sexual orientation on dating apps, so I didn't have anything to update in that department, and I had no idea what I'd change it to anyway. I didn't and still don't feel a strong need to adopt a particular label, and instead I'm just trying to focus on who I'm attracted to regardless of their gender identity and let that lead me. So when I changed uh, to seeing everyone about a year ago, I matched with several women over a couple of months, and I ended up meeting two of them. One of them identified as bi, and she too had been married to a man before, And while I felt physically attracted to her and enjoyed the one date that we went on, I didn't feel a strong enough connection to see her again, and I didn't feel sexually attracted to her. The other woman identified as a lesbian, and she lived in a city that's about an hour from me. She had also been married to a man, and (laughs) the reason she ended her marriage uh, several years ago was that she came out. We scheduled a phone date, and it was awesome. I loved talking to her, and she's really cute, and we agreed we'd meet up in person the following weekend. But toward the end of the conversation, I ended up sharing with her that I hadn't been in a relationship um, or physically with a woman before. Um, And the next day, I got a really long text from her, kindly and carefully telling me that she didn't want to meet up anymore or be in touch because she was worried it was too risky for her emotionally. She said that she was worried about what it would be like if I was disappointed by the experience of being with her physically. And she also mentioned that a common stereotype of bi women held by lesbians, um, according to her, is that they'll always go back to a man. I was bummed, um, but I was also kind of freaked out. Like, what the hell? Am I totally screwed here? Are most people not going to want to explore dating with me because of how they read my sexual orientation and what they think that means about my willingness to commit or my trustworthiness in a relationship? And are most people in their 30s, 40s, et cetera, are they averse to being someone's first time? Obviously, it wouldn't be my first time, but like my first time with a woman, And I should say, I'm actually not worried about that. I know my body and I know that I would have to figure out what any sexual partner is into versus assuming that I know exactly how to get them off. And that goes for men too. So I'd love your thoughts on where to go from here. A few people have told me that I should just go to a gay bar and hook up with someone. But again, like I'm not worried about getting over the hump of my first time with a woman. Um, I would like to like have some sort of a connection be the root of exploring someone with something with someone. And then is this thing, this stereotype about lesbians and their view of bi women true? I'm, it's a generalization, obviously. I'm guessing it's not true for everyone. But anyway, just love your perspective. Like, what do I do? There are women out there who aren't going to want to be your first same-sex experience. There are women out there who would be thrilled, excited to be your first same-sex experience. You don't want to wind up in bed the first time you're in bed with a woman with somebody from that first group. So this woman 
that you had that wonderful phone date with who then tapped out, she did you a favor, right? She's not the right person for you to have your first same-sex experience with. And as a bi woman, she's probably not the right person as a lesbian who holds these stereotypical but not necessarily entirely ungrounded beliefs about bi women. There's a lot of bisexual people out there who are hetero-romantic, who enjoy sex with same-sex partners, but don't or can't form romantic attachments with same-sex partners. If you're gay or lesbian and you can form a romantic attachment and a sexual attachment with someone and you've been burned a few times by people who are like, I'm just in it for the sex and you kind of fell in love with them, that can make you a little fun shy, right? And that may be her experience and she's entitled to her experience and to pruning her dating prospects based on what she's comfortable with. And you can argue about it and you can be hurt by it or you can remind yourself that there is a whole lot of bi women out there for you to choose from. There's a new Gallup report out. There's just been a huge boom in people under the age, you know, millennials and Gen Z who identify as bisexual baby boomers. And I am not a baby boomer, but except by a couple of weeks, which I'm always really embarrassed about. But most baby boomers who were LGBT were L or G very few bisexual identified baby boomers. But when it comes to Gen Z and millennials, the overwhelming majority of millennials and Gen Z who are queer, who are LGBT, are bisexual by a factor with Gen Z of like five or six or eight or 10. It's just so much potential pussy out there for you that isn't going to have a problem with you being bi because that pussy's bi too. So don't be too butthurt if you meet a lesbian who isn't psyched about dating a bi woman. You don't want to force yourself on that lesbian and that lesbian isn't someone who's going to be the right person for you as your first or as your 40th, as your you know, friend with benefits, because if you are bisexual and heteroromantic, it's just going to be sex or as somebody that you could see yourself dating because you don't want to have to spend a whole lot of time dismantling that lesbian's biphobia, not your job. There's a lot of people out there who don't have experience and, you know, who are virgins, whoever it is that they might want to sleep with, who have had no sexual partners and hold that information back or are worried they're going to be rejected for that reason. Good. Good to be rejected for that reason. You want to be with somebody who is psyched and honored to be with you that first time and to, to show you a good time, whatever your thing is, whether you're a virgin or you're just having your first like crazy kink experience, you're trying fisting for the first time. You want to be with somebody who's sensitive to the needs, emotional, physical of a first timer. Now, there are people out there who will attempt to exploit a first-timer's naivete and inexperience. You got to watch out for them. You got to trust your gut. You got to do your screw diligence. But there are people out there who are really psyched and honored to be your first and really want you to have a good, fulfilling, rewarding first experience that leaves you excited about further experiences with them or with others. And you can figure out who those people are. Those people who are trying to hustle you into bed to exploit your naivete and experience. And those people who are willing to really talk and really listen to you and are sensitive to who you are, where you're at. That's how you separate the like trying to exploit your naivete and experience from 
the person who wants it to go really well for you because the naivete and inexperienced exploiters generally aren't going to make a large investment of time and emotional energy generally. And the ones who are psyched and why you'd have a good experience will make that investment. They will take the time to talk to you about comfort, boundaries, limits, whatever experiences, past experiences, your hopes, your dreams for pussy in the future because they want it to go well. It's not a perfect fail-safe way to make that determination to separate the asshole chaff from the wonderful wheat, but it's pretty good. That plus trusting your gut can land you in bed with the person that you should be in bed with that first time. And okay, there are some lesbians out there who don't want to sleep with you, bi lady. There are eight times as many bi ladies your age and your age group and your demographic out there who are dying to eat your pussy. Go find one of them. Hi, Dan. Cishet male from Toronto, Canada here. Going through a divorce from a 21-year relationship with a person I've been together with since high school. I'm sure I'm going to catch some flack from you for that. And our marriage was, by all accounts, very good, except for the fact that my wife and I both have individual fetishes, which we were very much aware of and very GGG in fulfilling. But my wife's fetish was... BDSM related. And she discovered that through experimenting with this and going out and meeting other people and, and playing in these spaces and with other people who shared that actual fetish, the bond that she got doing that was what she was truly looking for. And that was incompatible with being married to someone who didn't share that fetish. And so that's the primary drive for why our marriage actually fell apart. And I'm struggling with some resentment because of that space. As someone who has a fetish themselves that is crucial to their sexual identity, I am very sympathetic and empathetic to the need for that. But yet I can't help but look at, at some of the space and be like, that's the reason that everything fell apart. And I'm just struggling with some resentment in that area that I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about. And... The second part is more of a societal question. The awkward reality of our uh, marriage is I was very much the breadwinner and I really almost single-handedly provided financially for both of us, as well as my ex's sister and her partner living with us because she really wanted to live with her sister because they are very close. So I basically almost single-handedly provided for four people. And now that our marriage has ended and uh, going through divvying up the financial side of things, as someone who considers themselves a fairly socially progressive person, I'm really surprised at how angry I am at how unfair it feels that I financially provided the vast majority of the support for everyone involved. And yet I still have a huge financial hit on the way out the door in addition to the emotional damage. And I'm really struggling with how to wrap my head around that and square that circle. I think you're allowed to feel resentful. I don't think that you should frame these feelings of resentment that you're experiencing as a problem. You we're with this person for 21 years. Hopefully you'll get to a point in the future where you look back on the marriage and regard it as a success. Not so amicable at the moment, painful at the moment. 
But down the road, hopefully, you and your wife will circle back, you and your ex-wife at that point, and be able to be friends. And even if you don't have what you used to have, you'll be able to honor what you did once have and once meant to each other. Sometimes resentment in a case like this can be emotionally useful. You're wounded. You're bleeding. Resentment can cauterize a wound. So rather than feel as if you're not entitled to feel resentful, go ahead and feel resentful. Go ahead and pull back emotionally from your wife. You need to pull back emotionally from your soon-to-be ex-wife and wallow and stew in your resentment and anger, but then work through it, maybe get into therapy, talk to somebody who can help you pull apart what the end of your marriage meant. But don't tell yourself you can't feel what you're feeling right now. Don't you know, struggle with the resentment, but feel the resentment. Allow the resentment to be useful to you. Cauterize the wound. Don't tip into bitterness, lifelong recrimination. Don't become some obsessive about the wrongs that were done you. Don't nurse the resentment. Utilize it temporarily. And, you know, get a grip on it, get some perspective on it in therapy. And yeah, struggle number two, it sucks now looking back that you feel used. Your wife wanted her sister who apparently can't get a fucking job to live with her and her sister's partner who couldn't get a fucking job. And you were the sole means of financial support for these three people. I can see why that would add insult to injury. What can you do about it? Well, now nothing. And you're going to take that financial hit as your marriage ends and you would take that financial hit even if you hadn't been supporting your wife's sister and her husband. But look at it this way. The financial hit you're going to take, is it worth it to get not just your wife, who maybe you didn't want out of your life, out of your life, but maybe it's worth it to get your wife's moochass sister and her moochass partner out of your life? How much is that worth to you? It may seem right now a huge number, but if you amortize it over the next, you're a young man still, the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years may seem more reasonable, may seem in that accounting worth it to have these two fucking mooch ass adults out of your fucking life. This will get for you easier in time. This moment as your marriage ends. And I got to say, your wife's reason for ending the marriage that she started to form more intense sexual connections with her BDSM play partners seems to me not a great reason to end a marriage of 21 years with someone who allowed you to go have those intense connections with other people. Seems to me that maybe you guys could have stayed married and maybe been a little less married to each other, but then you know what you don't get if you stayed married and were less married and you know she had her play partners and was able to have relationships with them. You know what you wouldn't get out of that arrangement? You wouldn't be rid of her sister. You wouldn't have your sister-in-law out of your fucking house. Seems to me that that's worth paying just about any price for. And I bet, you know, give it three years, five years, you in a new relationship, you no longer having to pay everyone's bills, just your own, you seeking out a partner in the future who has a fucking job and can pay their own bills and is into you and into your kink 
you may wind up five years from now feeling grateful to your wife for ending a marriage in which you were being used in a way that wasn't clear to you while you were in it and with somebody that you had a sexual connection with, but not the kind of sexual compatibility that hopefully you will have with your future partner. A future partner, again, that you're going to prioritize, gainful employment, pays their own bills, shares your kinks. Hi, Dan. I'm a long-time listener, Magnum subscriber, um, and I'm calling in because of my brother's recent arrest due to downloading and watching underage um, pornography teenage girls. It's, it's awful what he's done, and he's seeking help and will be in the police system for a number of years, just getting it dealt with um, in terms of the investigation, uh, hearing, potential jail time. But the thing I'm calling into you about is how it, this has completely cut me off from all my sexuality. Um, I would say I'm pansexual, but in a marriage to a man and pre this uh, pornography was the way that I would connect with my other side of sexuality that couldn't be fulfilled with the relationship. I would also have a pretty good sex life um, and I've just felt completely shut off, not wanting to have sex, not think, being able to masturbate, not wanting to access porn, but also really missing this massive side of myself that I've just, I just cannot help but, but have cut it, cut it off. What do I do to get back to myself? I don't feel like I even want to touch myself. I feel like it's completely just killed something. If you're having a hard time right now separating your sexuality from your brother's crime, that might be something you want to explore with a therapist. There are probably dozens, hundreds of people arrested in the week before your brother was arrested for downloading that pornography who downloaded child porn, and or worse, it didn't touch you or implicate you in the same way that your brother's arrest did. Your brother's arrest, you know, when we hear about terrible crimes being committed by people who are outside of our social circle, social orbit, it's easier to wall ourselves off from that, to, you know, to be aware that it's going on, aware that it's happening, but not feel personally implicated. And you are, in a sense, personally implicated here. Not guilty, not guilt by association or anything, but there are some decisions you're going to have to make about your relationship with your brother going forward. Are you going to be there for him? Are you going to provide any sort of emotional support for him? Are you going to maintain this connection with your brother? And that may be, you know, those huge questions that anybody who has a family member who's committed a terrible crime has to wrestle with maybe crowding out right now your ability to feel sexual. And even if your brother's crime wasn't a sexual crime, that could be true. If he'd done a terrible, horrible thing that wasn't sexual, that didn't involve harming minors by creating demand for more child porn, that, that got more kids raped, if he'd done something else that was terrible it would probably be so all-consuming right now that you had a family member who is under arrest and being prosecuted that you might not feel very sexual, but you wouldn't then be linking it to the crime. So what you need to do and might be better able to do with the help of a therapist is delink your sexuality from your brother's crime. That is a false association that you're making right now. They are not linked. Our sexual desires do not exist on a continuum 
where then other people's sexual desires or the sexual acts or crimes of people that we are related to who are in our lives or in our community somehow tarnish, touch, or implicate us and our sexual desires. Right now, it may be that you're just so overwhelmed by what's happening that your libido has tanked and it isn't actually related to the crime that your brother committed. Or, again, you may be making a false association there. If it is just the overwhelming stress and horror of this moment, and that is suffocating your libido, in time your libido will revive. If you're making that false association, that is something you're going to have to work at actively and consciously delinking. And to do that work effectively, and to do that work faster, you want to do that work with a therapist. Hey Dan, I have a question based on my personal experience of sort of feelings after penetrative sex versus masturbation. I have just noticed that after the day after sex with a woman, penetrative sex, I feel a lot calmer. I feel like a lot steadier. Just overall, I feel better, less worried. You know, sex is great. But after masturbation, I feel like, you know, the release of, of, of that, but I don't feel the same kind of like soothing feeling afterwards. Just confusing to me because to me, it should be the same thing to my body, right? My body shouldn't know the difference, maybe. I don't know. So I'm curious if you or one of your experts have an explanation for why I just feel so much calmer, happier the day after sex, penetrative sex, than I do after masturbation. I'm sure there's some big hormonal blast that happens when you have partnered sex. Some extra helping of the natural oxytocins that are released when you have sex with another person. But I mean, think about it. When you have a wank, when you drain your sack, you're just taking care of yourself. When you have partnered sex, when you're with somebody else, whether it's penetrative sex or not, whether there's PIV or not, you've connected with somebody. There were emotions there that were being stimulated, not just nerve endings. And then there's also the status you know, you got some, somebody chose you, you wanted to be with somebody and they wanted to be with you back. And that's a good feeling. That's very affirming of your sexual desirability. So yeah, of course you walk around the next day with a noticeable pep in your step that isn't there when you just had your millionth wank of your male life. Totally understandable. Doesn't mean that wanking made you feel bad. And I think you should stop comparing these feelings. You're only feeling, I think, a little bad about the feeling after you wank because you're comparing that feeling to the feeling after partnered sex and finding wanking wanting. Well, wanking is its own and separate thing. It meets a different need than partnered sex does. And it's probably never, although some people are really good at solo sex, really enjoy solo sex. I'm not shitting on people who opt for or prefer solo sex. I see you, you're valid, you're out there. But for most of us, and this isn't a value judgment, that more people prefer partnered sex. For most of us, partnered sex is fulfilling in a way. And the ripples of that sense of fulfillment last longer than the fulfillment that you may get from masturbation. So this is perfectly understandable. I would urge you to enjoy masturbation for what it is for you. And then when you have partnered sex, to enjoy that, the, the sex itself, the 
good feeling the day after and then stop looking over your shoulder at the last time you masturbated and feeling like there was something wrong with that or that it didn't also improve the quality of your life in some way. It didn't also meet a need. It didn't also feel pleasurable. It was also good for you, not as good as partnered sex. Stop comparing them. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's check in on the comments on last week's show at savage.love. Says Ted, as a gun owner, I couldn't agree more with Dan's take on gun control. In my state, in order to get a deer hunting license, I had to take a lengthy class. Yet when I went to purchase a gun and ammo, it was largely a financial transaction. If we could just regulate firearms to the level of automobiles, that would be great. Completely agree, Ted. But whatever we're doing to regulate automobiles right now, it is not enough. Pedestrian deaths in the U.S. have reached their highest level in 40 years. I'm currently reading Carmageddon, How Cars Make Life Worse and What to Do About It by Daniel Knowles. He's going to be a guest on the next Sex and Politics. You don't have to read Carmageddon before you hear my conversation with Daniel Knowles, but you're invited to. I'm reading it now. It's as fascinating as it is depressing. Says KK, you said something to the first caller last week, Dan, that really rang true for me about being attracted to the masculinity or femininity in someone regardless of their gender identity. I gave up trying to define my sexuality many years ago, but the way you articulated this idea has given me something new to think about, Dan. Thanks. You're welcome, KK. And finally, via email from Paul, years ago, Dan, a guy called about his fetish for straight jackets. You reassured this dude that his fetish, although niche, was not so unusual. What really stuck with me most was when you said, you don't pick your fetishes, your fetishes pick you. As a goofy, tattooed, tough-looking, but share-singing gay dude, your words gave me such courage, freedom, and the liberty, Dan, to be open about my straitjacket fetish. Paul goes on to say that he passed time during the pandemic creating a straitjacket-themed tarot card deck. He hand-painted all 78 cards. I checked them out at his website. They're really interesting. You can check them out at straightjackettarot.com. All right. Thanks to everyone who commented on the show this week at savage.love. Thanks for posting also to your own social media accounts about the Lovecast. We really appreciate your support and we really appreciate how our listeners help spread the word about the Savage Lovecast. And now something else we appreciate week after week, listener response calls. Hi, I'm calling in response to episode 859, specifically the caller asking a question about their possibly asexual friend. Um, I was a little annoyed with her question only because it didn't seem like her friend was asking for help. While I appreciated the conversation that you had with the sex therapist on the show, I also thought that you guys may have maybe should have told her that she needs to mind her own business. Like if her friend is having is fine with that and wants to deal with it on her own, she doesn't need to do anything for her friend. And I think trying to push her friend to identify as something that she doesn't seem to agree with is really not right. So yeah, maybe uh, tell your callers when they're asking things like that of their friends in the future, just tell them to mind their own business. Hi, Dan. This is a response to the uh, gentleman who was trying to play spin the bottom with his partner at an orgy. I just wanted to say Dude, you're overthinking it. Like, it's an orgy. You don't need party games. It sounds entertaining as hell, but like Dan said, it would probably really go wrong. She'd be more concerned about just setting a good ambiance, music, lights, candles not too close to the bed, that sort of thing. And just make sure you invite a good group of people who's actually going to want to see each other naked and things should go pretty well. 
Hi, Dan. This is in response to the caller in episode 859 about the hard, erect stripper nipples. And I'm wondering if maybe they are like that because of breast augmentation. Um, I haven't had breast augmentation, but I've had a breast reduction. And when that happened, uh, my boobs got smaller, but my nipples stayed the same size. And because my boobs are now perkier and firmer, my nipples point straight out and it looks like I constantly have hard nipples. So that might be what's going on. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question or your comment. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or your comment to q at savage.love. Or you can call and leave us a message at 206-302-2064. The 2023 Hump Tour continues across North America. Go to humpfilmfest.com for tickets. And our first European tour is on now. We're in Zurich this weekend, Amsterdam in May, Munich in June. Most exciting of all, we are in Berlin, April 21st and 22nd. And I will be hosting the screenings in Berlin. Berlin in person. If you want to join me for Best of Hump, some of the best films from the first 17 years of the Hump Film Festival, go to humpfilmfest.com slash Europe. The screenings will be at the Movie Mento Theater in Berlin. For all the info, all the details, and to get your tickets again, humpfilmfest.com slash Europe. Follow me on Instagram and Spoutable at Dan Savage. Still on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Leo Herrera on Instagram at Herrera Images. And check out The Father's Project at ifthelived.org. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy, we will all be back at you next week for an installment of The Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.